You're listening to the Community Podcast, episode 143. Reverend Andrew Moore's message is titled, Limping Between Two Gods. If you would like to learn more, please visit comref.org. You might see I've got some tea up here. I'm wrestling with like the beginnings of a cold. So if I'm sniffling and sneezing and that kind of stuff, that's why. Uh, I didn't touch the donuts. I didn't touch any of them. So we're, we're good there. Um, I, I get the, the privilege of, of preaching the first Sunday after our series on stewardship. Um, and if I were to ask us to raise our hands, um, if you are happy that we're done talking about money, I'm sure none of you would raise your hands, right? I'm just kidding. Money is a hard topic. It's a hard topic to talk about. Uh, but we're not talking about money today, which is wonderful. Um, I also had the, the privilege of preaching downstairs at the 845 service. Uh, and I, I did tell them that of the four services, they are in my top four favorite at community. And I have to say the same for you guys. Mosaic is probably the top four of my favorite services at community. So thank you for, uh, for being a part of that. Uh, it's, you know, top four by a landslide. There's, there's almost no competition. <laughs> so I get, to, I get to dive back into, uh, back into the history of God's people. We're going to kind of go into a book of the Bible that's maybe less read than other parts, right? We spend probably more time in the Gospels and the letters, the second half of our Bible, than we do in like the Levitical law or the, the history books, that kind of stuff, or some of the prophets. We spend a little less time in there. We get to dive back into that, which is awesome. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you want to find it at your Bibles, that's awesome. But we're going to spend some time first kind of setting the scene, exploring some new characters that we have to introduce, uh, and figuring out what's going on in and through God's people. So last week we talked briefly about, uh, briefly about like a huge overview of the history of God interacting with his people. Uh, we started with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, God chose Abraham and Sarah to, to be a blessing to the nations. He said, I'm going to make you, your descendants as numerous as the skies. And so they had a few kids, right? One of those kids was Isaac, uh, who inherited that promise. Isaac then becomes uh, the, 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 the agent through whom God is going to bless the nations. And then he's got a son, Jacob. I have a question about Jacob. How many of you know how many sons Jacob had. Shout it out. Close. Keep going. 12. Yeah. How'd you guess? That was awesome. Is it two times six? You were, you were almost there. Uh, he had 12 sons. And these, these 12 sons eventually became these sort of tribal leaders of God's people. And God continued to interact with them. Uh, and over time, this, this tribal unit, if you're looking for first Kings, if you hit second Kings, you've gone too far, just so you know. Uh, this sort of tribal family and community, uh, these 12 brothers became the 12 leaders, and this, this community becomes a nation, uh, becomes the nation of Israel, uh, becomes the sort of, of amoeba of misfits that we talked about last week, this idea that when somebody who doesn't belong or doesn't feel like they belong come into the community of believers, they're blessed, even if they don't stay. So uh, that's where we are right now. God's people, they ask for a king. Like they said, we want a king like the other nations have a king, and God said, okay, we'll do that. So he gives them a king, and, and, and they begin to grow. They grow in numbers. They grow in wealth, prosperity, power, but also grow in division and troubles and, and trials and, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and we pick up the story with a, with a king named King Ahab, who's married to Jezebel. You don't really need to know those names too much, uh, but that's, that's the main king right now. That's the one we're kind of focusing on. King Ahab is married to, to Queen Jezebel, and they have brought in pagan worship into the community of believers, specifically the worship of Baal or Baal. And a few others, Asherah is named, and we're going to dive into to, to, to Baal and not necessarily Asherah. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive into that. But King Ahab and Jezebel brought in the worship of these other little G gods. That's kind of where we pick up the story. 
God's people have turned away from him like we always do. We have this pattern of doing things our own way and God responding with grace and mercy for, for no reason, it seems like. And we're going to pick up the story with King Ahab and Jezebel. God sees his people have turned away. Uh, and of course, he's heartbroken. So he sends a messenger named Elijah. And that's where we pick up the story, 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to kind of start reading through it. I'll stop along the way. And we're going to dive into what's going on in their time. And after we get through all of it, we're going to fast forward thousands of years to our time today and see, okay, they've got these gods they're worshiping. And we're going to kind of, all right, what are the gods that we're worshiping? As always, as you read scripture, it's, it's always good to place yourself in the story. I mean, if, if you were Elijah, if you were Ahab, if you were just an observer, uh, what would you see? What would you feel? How would you feel? Uh, how would you react to some of the things that are going on? So you can follow along with me. We're going to start up verse 17. should be up on the screen back here. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, it's you, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. There's some blame being thrown at Jezebel here. Now this is all happening at a place called Mount Carmel, which is really uh, about a 30 mile long range of of mountains uh, then beneath that is the Jezreel Valley, which is supposed to be this, this super fertile sort of breadbasket where, where grains are grown and olives are grown and all this stuff is supposed to be this, this place that sprouts life, but you can imagine what it looks like after three years of no rain. It's been three years since it last rained in this area because God's people have turned from him. The rain has been withheld. That's, that's where we are right now. Verse 20, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people didn't answer him a word. Like Elijah's not wasting any time. He shows up at King Ahab and immediately Ahab says, oh, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah's like, no, 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 no. That's not on me. You're calling me the troubler of Israel. I'm a messenger from God. And he immediately points it back to King Ahab. You, King Ahab, who have brought in worship of Baals. And then he wastes no time when he talks to the people. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. People didn't answer him a word. We get the sense the people know, they know this isn't right. They know that uh, they're giving God half of their worship and giving Baal, this false God, the other half. Now, it should be known, uh, Baal was known as this, this God of storms. He's often depicted with, with lightning bolts and thunder in his arms. Uh, you, would, you would worship Baal and, and pray to Baal if you wanted rain for your crops, if you wanted spheres of influence, if you wanted power and might. This was the God that you would pray to. And you got to wonder, in, in the people of Israel's mind, it hasn't rained in three years. How is this worship of Baal going for them? Yeah, you know, well, Baal, uh, he hasn't been great the last three years, but I think if this year is going to be the year that he's really going to send the rain and bring the storms and bring life back into this land. Elijah said to the people, I, this is verse 22, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord. Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
So he says, let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull from themselves and cut it to pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire in it. You'll call upon the name of your God and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Elijah sees that the heart of the people is torn in two, that God's people have have turned away from him. And so he says, hey, well, let's have a God competition. Let's have this this, this tournament of the gods. Let's let's check this out. All right, so we're going to get two bulls. We're going to put them and build some altars. We're going to put them on there. And whoever God uh, responds by lighting these things on fire, that is the true God. However, no fuel, no matches, no lighters. And the people are like, this sounds great. Let's do it. Yeah, Baal's going to be awesome. He's going to respond and send fire down. Uh, he's often seen as kind of like the god of fire. When he sends lightning down, things catch on fire. And Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. Call upon the name of your god, but put no fire in it. Elijah even lets them choose the bull and go first. Verse 26, they, they took the bull that was given to them. And they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. They've been, they've been shouting out to Baal for hours. Limping, uh, that, that word limping, and also kind of connotate dancing or, or leaping. They're trying whatever they can to get Baal to answer, and Elijah is getting a kick out of this. So Elijah sees that Baal's not answering, and of course Baal's not answering because he's not real. Uh, but Elijah keeps going. He starts to poke and prod at him. It says at noon, verse 27, Elijah mocked him, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing or he's relieving himself. Or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Elijah is saying, no, I'm, I'm sure if you just shout louder, Baal's going to respond. Right? He's, he's, if he's a god, he's going to hear you. You might just need to shout a little bit louder. Maybe he's like on a walk somewhere and you've got to shout really loud because he's far away. Or he might be like taking a nap. You know, he might be tired from all the, all the lightning he's been throwing all over the place, all the rain he's been withholding. So if you yell louder, it might wake him up uh, and he might get this thing rolling. Or maybe he's on the toilet. Elijah says that. And they do. They start crying louder. Verse 28, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. This is like a gruesome scene. They are, they are, they are, they are desperate for Baal to answer. They are cutting themselves. Blood is flowing onto the ground. This happens for hours. Verse 29, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. There's no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. I wonder if the people of Israel at this moment, after leaving the worship of Yahweh, beginning to worship Baal, are questioning whether that was a good decision. As their blood is trickling on the ground, and this one prophet in front of 450 is kind of poking fun at their God, I wonder if they're thinking, we really messed up. What happens next, uh, we're not going to read through it. I'm going to kind of explain it. Elijah said to all the people, he pulls them in close to him. He says, come near me. All the people came near. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took one stone for each tribe of Israel. He took 12 stones. 
He brought them together. He rebuilt this altar and he prayed to God. This is, this is Elijah bringing back together, knitting together the people of God, repairing what was lost and broken, knitting us back together with God. This is a, this is a triumphant, triumphant moment for God's people. Their hearts are turning back to him. And then what does he do? Not only he builds this altar, puts the stone in, uh, he orders these jars to be filled with water. How many do you think he filled? Twelve. He put 12 jars of water in and around the altar so that the wood was wet, so that the, the bull was wet, so that the, the ground around the altar was wet and the trenches that they had built was filled. He filled the thing with water. And we like to think, you know, uh, people back then were kind of primitive and not quite as smart as we are today. Uh, you know, they, 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 they're, they're not quite as, as fancy or, or uh, you know, put together. We, just, we have things figured out way better than they do. But I assume they probably knew what things don't burn. That's a guess. He fills it with water, and then we pick up at verse 26. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that's Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. God's people is returning to him. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then I think one of, one of the most important verses is actually next. This is so, so weird. The, the people of God, they see the power of God and they can't help but fall on their faces in worship when they see the powerful God of Israel. But then what does Elisha do? We've got this pattern of doing things our own way and God responding in grace and mercy. After they turn their hearts to, to God, Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Like you see this miraculous thing, God responds, brings his people back and what do they do? They do what humans always have done. We do things the way we want to do them. And we see that time and time again in Scripture, and God always responds with grace for some reason and mercy. So here's the picture. God's people have demanded a king. They've got a king. They've got this wealthy nation. They've got things going on for them, and they begin to worship other gods. And Elijah says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. My question for us this morning, I've got two questions. The first one is whether it's possible after thousands of years, these people of God were limping between two gods. Is it possible that you and I still have a tendency to do the same? Do we sometimes limp between two gods or more? Now, before we dive into that, I've got a few images, a few illustrations to help just wrap our mind around what this might look like. How many of you have been on a boat? And I have to admit, I stole this illustration from, from Jeff Manning. I thought it was brilliant. 
So boat comes to the dock. It's an in, inland lake. Uh, if you've ever been tubing behind a boat, you can only fit so many people on the boat and so many people on the tube. So say you've got this party going on. You've got a bunch of kids at it, uh, and they're already, you know, they're ready to swap out so new kids can come onto the, the inner tube and all that kind of stuff. So you pull the, the boat up to the dock, and instead of tying it up, you do one of these things where it's like, you know, you've got one foot on the dock and then one foot on the boat, right? Now, that's great until the boat starts moving. Because then you have one of three options. You can either stay with the dock or you can go with the boat. Now, what happens if you stay in the middle? You go in the water, right, right. Uh, so that's, that's one illustration. You, you can choose either the dock, the boat, or the water. Uh, the second one, how many of you are golfers? I have to admit, I've never been golfing in my life. But this one will work uh, whether you're swinging a baseball, whether you're swinging a golf ball, bat, uh, swinging a golf club, swinging a golf ball bat. Great. Wow. I need to take a sip. Hold on. That's because my, you know, it's because of my throat. Totally the cold. Uh, <laughs> whether you're swinging a golf club or a baseball bat. Now I've heard that when you're swinging one of those things, the goal is not to hit the ball. The goal is for the ball to be in the way of your swing. The reason for it, uh, if, you, if you swing your golf club, I'm not even going to pretend to swing one, and you don't follow through, the ball doesn't go where you want it to go. And so the goal is to, to follow through. That follow through is important. Same thing, uh, whether you're throwing a ball, whether you're hitting a ball with a bat, whatever it might be, if you don't follow through, likely the ball or the thing is not going to go where you want it to go. Now, Back in the day, dude, can I have, can I have one, Brock, can you help me out up here? Can you just pull on that side of the stage a little bit? We're going we're gonna to move just a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you, Brock. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move my tea so I don't spill it. Uh, I was thinking of a way to make this, this visible and kind of in front of us. Now, the, the God of the Bible and, 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 and Baal, uh, they're not going to be getting any closer, Right? So if, if the people of God have got one foot on either side, uh, these two things will say this side represents Yahweh, this side represents Baal. They're not going to be getting any closer. No matter how much we try to pull them together and knit them together, they're not going to get any closer. In fact, they're probably only going to get farther and farther apart. So what happens then if we, if we spread this out just a little bit, you become, oh gosh, uh, you, you become a little more stretched, right? You get more and more stretched. I don't know if I should do that one more time or not. I was going to do it one more time. We'll see. Okay, so they get farther and farther apart because they're not going to be getting any closer to each other. I'll jump over here. I'll pull this one over. We'll pull them just a little bit more. Now, what happens when, when, when the things that we worship uh, pull us from our relationship with God? So this is Yahweh. I'm going to jump over here. What happens when we try to put one foot there and one foot here? That's right. You rip your pants. Now, can I have a volunteer? <laughs> Cool, come on up. Come on up. Can you try to put one foot on that side and one foot on this side? How close can you get? Oh, he got it. All right, all right, all right. Stay right there, stay right there. Let me push him a little closer. All right, ready? So as these things get farther apart, what do you think is going to happen, Cole? Oh, you think so? No, no way. All right, let's try it. Let's just see, let's just see what happens. Oh, oh. If he rips his pants, it's not my fault. All right, he's going to, oh, he's going to stay, he's going to, oh, dude, there it is, dude, thank you so much, give Cole a hand, thank you. 
So my question is, what are some of the gods that we worship today? Now, obviously, we, we probably don't build, you know, build altars and shrines to these false gods. Though, I have to say, if your favorite sports ball team, right, and we'll be honest with it, I don't know very many. If your favorite sports team, say, say they won a game on a Sunday and you happen to be wearing a specific jersey. And maybe you had, you know, a, a couple tacos for dinner. Now, the next game, I, it, it, it has crossed people's mind that I know to say, I'm going to wear that same jersey on that day. And, and I'm going to wear the same hat that I wore, and I'm going to drive in the same, you know, take the same route to go watch the game that I took, and I'll eat the same tacos, right? I'll have the same thing, because we, we kind of believe, you know, we're not superstitious, but just a little stitious. That was a ripoff of the office, I got to say. Now, it's not so far off to think that some of the things that we have going on today uh, pull us from our relationship with God. Now, some of us today are thinking, yeah, I kind of go, I kind of go in between. You know, on some days, and I'm going to push this a little bit closer because I just don't feel like ripping my pants. Uh, on some days, you know, we're, we're back and forth, right? Some days, I'm, I feel really good about my faith. I feel really good about it. I'm, I'm pursuing God with everything that I have and everything that I am. But then, you know, Friday or Saturday comes along, and I'm just, I'm steeped in, in, in the messiness of this, and I want nothing to do with that. And we go kind of back and, back and forth, back and forth between Yahweh and these little g-gods that we've got. And again, maybe it's not sports. That's not, that's not the only uh, issue with our culture, right? So sometimes it's, sometimes it's, 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 it's education. And we, we feel like we have, to, we have to pursue the most education we have. And education is brilliant. It's beautiful. And we need education. But if it becomes the, the, the thing that we pursue because it, it, it uh, gives us our identity, then suddenly it becomes this little g God. Now, some of us in this room, instead of you know, jumping back and forth, uh, we aren't limping between two gods, or leaping between two gods. We are just kind of straddled between the two. Cole, you did it way better, dude. Well done. I think his was farther apart than this. But over time, as these begin to separate, we're going to end up in the water. And then some of us in the room, uh, though we're here, might be over here and think, I've never been over there. And I'm not really interested in it. I can hear the words. I can be involved with the people, but I, I don't really want to be over there. Elijah brings God's people together. He begins to rebuild the altar of the Lord, placing one stone for each tribe of Israel. knitting together our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. My question for us today is simply how long will we be limping between two gods? When we make the jump over here, I want to say we're no longer limping, we're dancing. And that's a beautiful thing. So that's my question from Elijah. How long will we go limping between two gods? But then my second question, because we, we don't need to solely focus on our failure because we'll never leave that if we do. In what ways is God knitting you together and knitting us with him? Can you see signs? Can you see evidence that God is moving in and through your life so that this no longer is our little G God, but we have rebuilt the altar of the Lord and we've been knit back together together with each other and with God.
I will say this community, this church has been here for 51 years and its history is marked by God's faithfulness and this church's faithful response and that's beautiful. 51 years ago uh, and six days, this room was dedicated this original sanctuary. And now we, we get to see the fruits of God's work over this time. And we're building new, and we're renovating the children's space because we've been using it to its capacity. And that's awesome. That's wonderful. We should celebrate and remember where we've been and what God has done. But our pattern as humanity has been to go back and forth between these two. So I want to ask us, how long will we go limping between two gods? And I want to ask us to consider the ways that God is knitting us together. Because he is. Let's pray. God, you are faithful, you are good, and you are holy. You are faithful, good, and holy when we don't deserve your faithfulness, your goodness, or your holiness. Father, I confess, uh, we confess that uh, as a community, as people, we have often limped between worshiping you and worshiping uh, things of this world, usually ourselves. And we thank you that for some reason you've chosen to respond with grace, mercy, kindness. So Father, continue knitting us together. Bring us toward each other and bring us toward you. Help us to call out in our own lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters as we walk together some of the ways that we've been limping and help us dance in your presence, Jesus. It's in the name of your Son, by the power of your Spirit, for your glory, Father. Amen.